as I was making preparations, sound familiar? As I was making preparations for this message, I came across something interesting here. And it was a question that was brought up by an anonymous person, this guy by the name of J.S. Parks. He's a, he's a hospital chaplain. And he's also a writer. And he had this question brought up. And the question was this. Uh, it, basically, the, the title of it was Falling Away from God and Unimpressed with Jesus. So I thought I'd read that. And being unimpressed with Jesus there. <laughs> um, I would have, yeah, I'd have had that look too. But this question, here's, here's the question. It said, I feel like I'm on the point of breaking off completely from Christ already. I don't know what part he plays in my life. And as much as I know that faith isn't just a feeling thing and that valleys are meant to shape us, I'm tired of being down and I'm tired of being unimpressed with Christ. You know, it's like I'm waiting upon God to do something great in my life and to kind of woo me back. Interesting. So the question was, how how do I believe Jesus truly was once the best for me and that he is bringing me into my destiny? How do I believe when I don't believe? So Mr. Parks went on to answer that, and I want to share his answer with you. It's a little long, but... I think it's worth it. It leads us into what I want to talk about today. He says, dear friend, he says, I appreciate your honesty very much. I believe you are much closer to the heart of God than you think, and you actually get it. Uh, Please let me start with the hard news. He said, I could probably say a hundred cliches that you've already heard and give you some inspirational pick-me-up talk uh, that makes you try harder, but that's probably how you got here in the first place. I don't have the kind I don't have that kind of speech if if that is what you are looking for. I wish I had some magical mind blowing words that would revolutionize you back to a passionate Christian life. But no one has a silver bullet and even the Bible can feel cold some days. And maybe you were fed some weird, puny, casual concept of God that doesn't come close to what he is really like. Perhaps no one told you that there was a long, dry season of silence from God or that there could be a long, dry season from God and self-loathing and deep valleys of doubt. He said, I don't mean to blame anyone else. But for some reason, no one really told you all this and that it's okay to have those times. We all go through it. You're not alone. I thought that was pretty interesting that he said that. He goes on to say, you you do need to know that God absolutely loves you no matter where you are. And the fact remains an eternal fact. But I also know that, that that doesn't suddenly flip the switch. As much as I'd love to wave a wand and bring you around with this a three-step formula, the Christian life is not that easy. Actually, it's, it's really hard. You know, following Jesus is really good news, 
but it's not going to be rubbing your tummy telling you everything is okay, which I thought was pretty good. It's a good deal, but sometimes it's a tough one. I agree. So as graciously as I know how, to, I will. Uh, may I ask you, and he asked this question, have you taken on the crazy calling that Jesus has for your one unique life? Have you taken that on? I see a lot of bored Christians who are wrapped up in philosophical head games and online debates and battling the same sin over and over. Are you like that? Battling that same sin, you just can't seem to shake it. You know, I'm not saying these these are inherently bad things, but if that's all I knew about the Christian life, then I would probably reject Jesus too. There is more than that though. That's the good news. He goes on to say, a whole world exists out there that needs your hands and your heart to get it moving. I don't know if you're ready to try if you've already tried it, but I have to say the Christian life only makes sense when I'm lifting up broken people and becoming like Christ for them. He goes on to say, that means I need to get out of my head. I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to get out of my little office bedroom, 10 square foot you know, space and, and bandage up a bruised world because that's what we live in. That's when Jesus becomes very real and gritty to me. More dirt than doctrine, is what he says. This will look different for all of us. I serve a homeless ministry most weeks, and I occasionally counsel people online. I, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm very good at those things, but I still love doing them. For you, it could be as simple as bringing coffee and donuts to the elders and your minister in your church every Sunday and talking to them eye to eye. I like that one. That's that's a really good one. That's a that's a good idea, guys. So someone take up the mantle on that one. Or it could be babysitting to let some parents go on a date and then maybe using that money to send Bibles to China. He he goes on to say or or it could be volunteering at a hospice or a soup kitchen or a home for abused women. He says, get creative. You know, there is so much out there, a subterranean layer of people who are neglected and unseen and which you can have eyes for. It's what Matthew chapter 25 calls us to do. Remember what he said in Matthew 25? For what you've done it unto the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. He says, I don't mean do more, try harder. I simply mean you are meant for this, and you probably already felt it. Don't wait. This is what you've been longing for. And even if no one else at your church is going for it, you do it. Just do it. Even then, it's still hard. This is what I know. Following Jesus into this sacrificial life is awesome. And it's extremely difficult. And there are days I think this is all crazy. 
and maybe even a huge ridiculous lie. But at the end of the day, and at the, the tail end of my life, following Jesus on this wild, reckless adventure is worth it all. You might think, that's it? And I would have to say, yes, that's it. The story of God comes alive when you actually live out the story of God in your life. Don't let fear or laziness or numbness stop you. Don't, just, just go. Just do it. Don't let people talk you out of it. Get crazy. And things won't change overnight, but soon your heart could start beating again. He goes on to say, I love you, my friend, and I'm praying for you. You know, I have met, I have met some people who were unimpressed with Jesus. And, and maybe you have too. You know, it, it, it might surprise you sometimes who those people are, though. It might even be people in your family that are just unimpressed. And see, that's what happens today in this story that we're going to talk about with Jesus. From Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 6 today, you know, there were some people there that were just absolutely unimpressed with him. And so before we do that, let's go back to um, some of the beginning here. You know, if you've been with us over these past few weeks here, you know that we recently started a journey. And some of you are getting this, this idea of, of being on this journey that's going to take us from the banks of the Jordan River to an empty tomb. Eventually, we're going to get to that empty tomb. But we're going to be, we're going, to be going through different many points until we get there to that point. You know, and so the Gospel of Mark is going to be our tour guide on this journey, and we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And even though Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels, I've told you this several times, Mark actually records more events than any other Gospel, making it this very fast-paced, action-packed biography of Jesus. And it really is the ideal point, the starting point, for anyone wishing to get to know Jesus a little bit better. Where he leads me, I will follow. Will you? Seriously, will you? Wherever he leads you, will you follow? See, thus far, we've witnessed Jesus' baptism. If you remember that, you know, we've seen a man lowered through the ceiling of a house so that Jesus could heal him. And I think one of the points for that one was just to see how much it would take you to try to get to Jesus. You know, we, we've, we've watched uh, Jesus heal a man on the Sabbath in defiance of the religious leaders. You know, two Sundays ago, Jesus has just completed a, a whirlwind tour across northern Israel. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus astounded the disciples by calming the storm when they were on the, in that boat on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that story? You know, Terah had struck his, his, his followers, and, and many of those, those guys that were on that boat were veteran fishermen. They'd been out in these things before. So, so if it scared them, the storm must have really been bad. And they looked around, and they found, I mean, they were scared to death. They, they found peril, and then they looked within, and, and they were panicking. They were absolutely panicking. But the, the thing that, if you remember, the thing that they failed to do was to look to Jesus to find peace. They were right in the boat, right next to him. 
and they failed to look at him for peace. And I can tell you, being in a boat with Jesus would be better than any place else that they could have been on the planet. Even in the midst of the storm, they could have faith in Jesus' plans, his presence, his power. But you know what? We can too. And then last Sunday in Mark chapter 5, he shocked the, t- the ten towns of the, of the Gerasenes by casting a legion of, of demons into a herd of pigs. You know, and, and in the second half of Mark chapter 5, which we didn't discuss, he surprised a disease-ridden woman who, who just needed to touch his cloak. And she knew if she touched it, she could be healed. What faith, what faith. And his last stop was the home of of Jairus, whose daughter had died just moments before Jesus arrived there. But you know what? The the thing that we, we see about Jesus is that death, not even death, can stop him. He has victory over death. He took the little girl's hand and he whispered into her ear, little girl, get up, get up. And immediately it says that that, that that girl rose and walked. And the Bible says, if you'll notice there, the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally, totally amazed at Jesus. They were totally amazed. So, so far, Jesus seems to amaze and impress just about everyone that he encounters, doesn't he? Everyone that we have seen so far, it seems, except for maybe the religious leaders, he seems to amaze everybody. But as we begin chapter 6, we meet some people who, well, to put it politely, they're just not that impressed with Jesus. So I want you to join me as we look at Mark chapter 6. Let's read that. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed where did this man get these things, they asked. They go on to say, what's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Now pay attention to what he's saying there, what they're saying there. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brothers, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And, and, and they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. Hmm. So does that mean that if I go back to Winchester, they'd kick me out? <laughs> among his relatives, yeah, maybe. Uh, among his relatives and in his own home, It says he could not do any miracles there. Notice that. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed. Notice what it says there. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I wonder if that could be said about us. You know, I'm not sure what prompted Jesus to go back home. Perhaps he was tired from his travels and just wanted to go and sit in that comfortable rocking chair that his dad had made for his mom. 
I don't know. Maybe his mom had been nagging him. You know how moms are. <laughs> Ladies, keep it up. You need to do that. <laughs> maybe his mom was nagging him to come back home for a visit for a while. Or maybe he returned home for one of those Hebrews holidays, you know, a family festival. But whatever the reasons were, there's always something special about going home, isn't there? Remember Dorothy? She, she wanted to go home. She just wanted to go home because there's no place like home. And so you have that comfort, you have the familiarity of it all. And so as we, as we looked at this passage of Scripture here, what we're going to discover is that Jesus' brief trip home kind of unfolds in three different parts there, three different sections. And the first one is this. We discover that Jesus' trip home starts with his reception. Isn't it always nice to have a good reception when you come home? People see you and say, oh, we don't want you here. You know, no. <laughs> That's not a good reception, but he had a good reception. You know, I think much probably had changed since Jesus had left Nazareth. You know, when he left, he left alone as a carpenter. When he returned, it was almost like he was this famous rabbi and he had a whole entourage of disciples with him. And so he spends a few days visiting with family and friends. And then on Saturday, when it, Saturday rolls around, guess what? He gets invited to speak in the synagogue. And most likely this synagogue was the place where he had worshipped when he was a kid. I would have guessed that anyway when he was growing up. For you see, the synagogue in that day and age was really the hub of, the, of society. It was the center of town. It was the center of, of religion. And it was also the center of social life. Absolutely. Important civic meetings probably were held there. You know, so everyone came to the synagogue to connect with God, to be able to connect with his or her neighbors, and maybe even to connect with your family that you haven't seen all week. And so you get to see them on, on, on Saturday. They, they worshiped on Saturday at that time before the Lord changed it to the Lord's Day on Sunday. You know, everyone came to the synagogue to connect. You know, it, it was a common for a visiting rabbi who was, who was visiting the area to be invited to come and to speak at the local synagogue. We have that happen here sometimes, where we have people come in and speak, Chuck Sievers, Tony Wolf. You know, we've had them come in and talk to us. You know, Jesus, Jesus had become a well-known and very popular speaker, so... So what they did, and they probably some of them regretted it afterwards, but they rolled out the red carpet for him to come and to speak to them. So imagine he received plenty of pats on the back, you know, attaboy, you know, those, you know, just say, you, you've done a good job because everybody's, everybody's heard about what he's done. The people of Nazareth, they, they warmly welcome him. You know, they were happy to have him in their church. And they were happy to have him in their lives. And so Jesus had the opportunity to preach in the very church that he grew up in. And here's what it says in, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 there. Let's look back here again. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many of them who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. Well, you know, what's this wisdom that has been given him. What are those remarkable miracles that he's performing? You know, they're, they're just kind of amazed at Jesus. 
So here, here Jesus was. He's back in his hometown. He's preaching to the same people who watched him play in the dirt as he was growing up as a child, who saw him struggle through puberty as all kids struggle through puberty, you know, who witnessed the, the grief in his eyes when his earthly father, Joseph, died. And yet they were amazed. See, the word translated amazed literally means this, struck out of one's senses. In other words, Jesus blew their minds. That's what it meant. Jesus absolutely blew their minds. You know, they were amazed at his words, at his wisdom, at the miracles that he performed. And it was obvious that there was something special about this hometown hero. Absolutely something special about him. The truth is, 2,000 years later, Jesus is no less amazing. Amen? You don't sound convincing. Come on. Absolutely. He, he, he's more than... He, I think he lives more than up to his hype. He is, he's, he's, he's the foundation of our faith. You know, when we welcome Jesus into our church and our lives... Uh, the way the Nazarenes did, we won't be disappointed. Jesus is it. His, his wisdom and, and the miracles that he can perform in your life is just going to blow your mind. Absolutely blow your mind. But only if you receive him with open arms and open hearts. We have to receive him. You know, not everyone is willing to roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And that's unfortunate. Because as the story continues, we, we not only see Jesus' reception, but then we begin to see Jesus' rejection. They reject him. We discover that Jesus' trip home is not, not a welcome home for everyone. You know, there are some who reject him. You know, no matter how amazing something or someone is, there's always going to be those people who criticize and complain about everything. You know them. You've got them in your life. Do you want to hang around those people very much? No, absolutely not. You know, it's, it's like the story that Chuck Swindle tells in his book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Anybody ever read that book? It is, yeah, it's a good book. It says a farmer wanted to impress his hunting buddies. So what he did was, he went out and he bought the smartest, most expensive hunting dog that he could find. And see, Jerry would like this because Jerry had hunting dogs. He trained his dogs to do things no other dog on earth could do. Impossible feats that would surely amaze everyone that saw him. Then what he did was he invited his buddies to go duck hunting with him. So after a long, patient wait in the boat, a group of ducks flew over them, and the hunters were able to make a few hits. Several ducks fell into the water, and the proud dog owner shouted, Go get them, boy! <laughs> the dog leaped out of the boat. He walked across the water. He picked up the bird, and he returned to the boat. And beaming with pride, this man turned to his fellow hunters, and he said, So what do you think? And one of the hunters looked at him a little funny and said, boy, you sure got ripped off. 
you spent all that money on that dog and he can't even swim. (laughs) We always have those people who like to criticize, who like to complain. Well, some of Jesus' neighbors were just as unimpressed by Jesus. Notice what it says in verses 3 and 4. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Now that's an insult right there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his hometown, you know, among his relatives and in his own home. Wow. That's what he says to them. You know, there there are two not-so-disguised insults in that right there. The first is this. Isn't, isn't he just a carpenter? You know, Jesus was 30 years old when he went down to the river to be baptized by John the Baptist. Prior to that, he had been at home learning the trade of carpentry from his father Joseph and probably helping to support himself and his family after Joseph had died. You know, but here, basically they're saying he's a nobody. He's nobody special, the townspeople probably thought. He's just a common laborer. That's all he is. And they insulted him and thought less of him because he had this career as a carpenter. That's what that's saying right there. They're, 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 they're cutting down on him. And then, and then furthermore, they make it even more insulting by saying he's the son of Mary. You know, in any normal situation in Jewish culture, Jesus would have been called the son of Joseph, not the son of Mary. But Jesus, as we all know, was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit prior to Mary and Joseph's wedding. So calling him the son of Mary was like they were labeling him the bastard child. That's what they were doing. That he was conceived out of wedlock by a woman who cheated on her fiancé. That's what they were saying. And then listing his brothers and sisters just shows how familiar they were with him and his family. You know, they thought that they knew everything that there was to know about this kid. And their familiarity bred contempt. Absolutely. Sometimes I wonder maybe if we aren't a little too familiar with Jesus ourselves. I know he didn't grow up on the same street that we did. You know, we we never shared a meal with Mary or Joseph or Jesus. You know, you you and I never hired Jesus to build a fence or repair our stable or anything else around our house. But you know what? We we've grown up with Jesus all the same. We really have. You know, we we live in the most Christianized nation in the world, guys. We absolutely do. There are dozens of churches in every town you go to. You know, if you if you go to any hotel room, what do you find in the drawer there? You find one of the Bibles. That's right. You, you find them in almost every hotel that you go to. You know, there are Christian bookstores overflowing with books about Jesus, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. You know, there are movies and series and music and more all about Jesus. You know, and these these are all good things, guys. They are. They're wonderful things. 
But I wonder if our culture hasn't become so saturated with Jesus that we've grown to kind of desensitize to him sometimes. You know, we've all heard the story of Jesus. We've heard it in Sunday school and youth group and sermons and songs. You know, we, we think that we know, I guess we think that we know everything that there is to know about Jesus. And the problem with that is, is that sooner or later, it's like none of that seems to amaze us that much anymore. It seems to be old hand, you know. We're just used to it, you know, and, it, and that's not good. Have you ever heard of the, the, the film called The Jesus Film Project? Did anybody hear about that? Any of you here hear about that? You know, it's a movie that was produced by Campus Crusades for Christ um, based on the Gospel of Luke. And what it does is it simply tells the story of Jesus. You know, if, if it were shown in theaters in America today, it probably would be a flop. Critics would complain about the slow pace, the bland cinematography, and the lack of originality. That's what they would probably complain about. You know, we, we've seen this story before, yet... Guess what? This film has been translated into 1,160 different languages and is used by missionaries all over the world to, in remote villages and hostile nations. And since 1979, 200 million men, women, and children worldwide have made decisions to follow Jesus after viewing this film. That's incredible. That's one person every six seconds. That's 14,400 new believers every day. I predict that the Chosen series could have that same kind of effect upon people down the road. So why is it that millions of people from the jungles of Africa and the streets of Papua New Guinea and the port of Athens are giving their hearts and lives to Jesus while evangelistic efforts seem to be futile and fruitless here at home and in the United States. It seems like it's not quite as much as it is over in some of these other countries. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's like Jesus said, a prophet is honored everywhere else except in his hometown. You know, are we the hometown? I don't know. I thought about that for a long time. You know, anywhere Jesus is being preached should be his hometown, shouldn't it? And unfortunately, rejecting Jesus comes with some very serious side effects. And finally, the last few verses of this passage you know, we discover that Jesus' trip home has some pretty interesting reactions from Jesus. It's pretty interesting here. See, the, the next couple of verses in, in Mark tell us the rest of the story. Notice what it says there. It says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Notice what it says there in verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, as a general principle, power follows faith. It really does. On some occasions, Jesus did wondrous miracles in the face of disbelief, you know, such as Paul's conversion or when the demon-possessed man um, had, the, had the, the legion of demons taken out of him and thrown into the swine. 
You know, most of the time, however, Jesus works in response or pretty much in cooperation with faith. That's what he does. You know, he wants faith to be a part of the process. He, he really does. And he, he was simply amazed. His mind was blown by their lack of faith. Absolutely by their lack of faith. So, so what, what, what amazes the most amazing person, Jesus, to walk on the face of the earth? What, what amazes him? Is it the lack of faith? Well, you know, I do, you do, we all, we all do when, when we don't believe. If we don't believe, you know, that, that's what it is. You see, in the Bible, unbelief is regarded as a mindset, a, a stubborn refusal to believe rather than a logical conclusion of, of evaluating evidence. You know, we are living in an age of unbelief, guys. We are absolutely living in an age of unbelief. According to a, a new worldwide poll called the, the Global Index Religiosity and Atheism, the number of Americans who say that they are atheists has risen from 1% in 2005 to 5% in 2013. Now that doesn't sound like a big rise, but when you think about 4% of the population, that is a lot of people. And I'm amazed at how quickly unbelief has taken root in so many people's hearts. And if I'm amazed, imagine how amazed Jesus must be. But forget about the atheists and the agnostics for a minute. We have to think about us. What about you and me? You know, have you ever wondered why a lot of times we don't see more miracles in our lives? You know, think about this verse again. Look at that again, Matthew. He could not do any miracles there except lay on hands and, and on a few sick people and heal them because they, you know, because of their lack of faith. He was amazed at that. And because of their unbelief, Jesus held back. And do you think that maybe because of our unbelief, we hold the miracles of Jesus back from our lives? I mean, that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. It's not to say that Jesus didn't do any miracles at all while he was in Nazareth, because he did. He did heal a few sick people, but only a few. Why? Well, I think it's because only a few believed he would do it or could do it. I really had to stop here and think about my own life here. And the question I asked a little bit a little bit ago was this, do you think he holds back miracles in my life because of my unbelief? Oh, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. Have I, have I made Jesus commonplace in my life? You know, probably, maybe, I don't know. But sometimes you got to ask yourself that. Do you think that he holds back miracles in your life because of your unbelief? You know, when, when, when you fall on your, your knees and plead with Jesus to perform miracles in your life, do you believe that he will do it? Do we pray believing? Do we pray believing? Do we even bother to ask anymore? I believe we do. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verses 6 and 8. says, but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Do you pray believing? You know, this doesn't mean that you're always going to get what you want if you believe hard enough. Sometimes God's answer to us is simply no. No. But he knows best. But unbelief blinds us to the truth that robs us of hope while faith opens the door and invites Jesus to work in our lives. Because of their unbelief, the people of Nazareth missed the Messiah. They completely missed him. Now, not all the people there did, but those who who didn't believe, they, they missed him. And we do not want to miss the Messiah. May we not make the same mistake that those people in Nazareth made. Tony Evans. He once said, unbelief is so powerful, it will stop God's work in your life. Did you hear that? He said that unbelief is so powerful that it will stop God's work in your life. Unbelief is so powerful, he said, it will keep God at a distance. Unbelief is so powerful that it can spend the rest of your life stuck where you are and never cross over to see the supernatural that God could do in your life. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I would recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. That's what he tells it. He tells us. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. That is belief and unbelief. There is no logical place between them. There's no fence. You can't, you can't climb and stand on the middle of the fence between belief and unbelief. He said you cannot do that. Be satisfied that nothing less than faith, a faith that swims in the deep of divine revelation, I mean just absolutely in the deep part, a faith that paddles about the edges of the water is poor faith at best. It is maybe a little bit better than a dry land faith, but it is not good for much. That's what he tells us. That kind of faith is not good for much. And so as we close out this morning, every day we have the same opportunity as the people of Nazareth did. We can choose to reject Jesus thinking we already know all about him and he's nothing special to us anymore. I'm not impressed anymore. Or we can see, we can receive Jesus in faith with our open arms, inviting him to work in our hearts and our lives. You know, the, the fine line between belief and unbelief shows up in our hearts, doesn't it? It shows up in our actions. It shows up in our motivations. And it goes as deep as the core of our foundation. Where is your foundation? So how we respond to Jesus will determine how he will be able to react to us. You know, know that he He always will love us. He will always love you. But he won't and cannot force us to believe or to love him or be amazed by him. We must take that step of faith. Did you know, and Jerry and I were talking about this, this is interesting. Did you know that in Scripture, there are only two times where Jesus is said to be amazed? 
Did you know that? Only two places. The first one is in our passage here today in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, where it says that he was amazed at their, the unbelief of the people at Nazareth. The other occasion is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read that whole thing there, but I want you to know it's, it's dealing with um, the centurion servant who, who wanted Jesus to come, and he basically says, he'll, he'll, he'll them already, and I believe that. And, and here's, what, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said he was amazed at the centurion and his great faith. Jesus was amazed and said this. This is what he said about the centurion. He said, I tell you that I have not found such great faith in all of Israel than this man right here, this centurion soldier. The people at Nazareth, he was amazed at their unbelief. And then he looks at this centurion soldier and he's amazed at his great faith. The two times that Jesus was amazed. So it begs the question from us, which one will we be? The one who amazes Jesus by our faith or the one who amazes Jesus by our unbelief? We each have to stand before the Lord to answer that question. And so this morning, if you're struggling with unbelief, maybe you've grown up with Jesus and heard all the stories about him so so often that, that you stopped being amazed at Jesus, then I want to encourage you to renew your faith in Jesus and invite him back into your life. Allow him to be the amazing God that he really is and that he really can be in your life. Let him once again blow your mind away at how awesome he is. Isn't Jesus awesome? Isn't he awesome? This morning, we're going to stand as the, as the band comes on up here, and we're going to sing. And I want to remind you, where he leads me, I will follow. Will you follow? You know, it's, it's a lifelong journey of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Will you allow him to lead you? Where he leads me, I will follow.